yo, yo, it's your girl and boy CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey 333. And that's a lot of threes, so let me tell you what it is. It's fitness, coaching, and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better, and it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. I got an episode for you today with somebody that I call my brother, because truth is, we kind of share the same parents, <laughs> him biologically, <laughs> through a little bit of an adopted way, at least when it comes to his dad, and then the other would be stepmother. It's Vaughn Kitchen, ladies and gentlemen, and Vaughn Kitchen just finished a 20-year sentence. He's about one year post-sentence. Close to like a year and a half. Closer to a year and a half? All right. Well, Vaughn, getting, getting there, to the yeah. show, man. I want to I talk with you today. Thank you. Oh, man, thank you for taking time to do this. I, I think that uh, something that, well, we have a lot in common, and we'll talk a little bit about that on this show as far as the family that you have that brought us together. But I think that this type of incarceration gives you a unique perspective on life. You've had to endure things that thankfully most people will never endure. And it's taught you lessons and it's given you a unique perspective on the value of time. So I really wanted to get you on here and just highlight your story. Talk a little bit about what you learned while you were away. Talk a little bit about what you've learned since coming home. Talk about the adjustment phase and just allow people to understand what's really going on. So. First of all, Vaughn, how old were you when you went to prison? I was 17. 17. 17. And can you tell us a little bit about the crime? What brought you to prison? So I already had about two and a half years in juvie under my belt. So I was already a troublemaker. Really just a kid that wanted to be an adult and do adult things and ended up getting in trouble as a result. So I was on parole as a juvenile from Nevada and I was getting close to turning 18. I didn't have any skills, you know, turn 18. If your parents kick you out, you know, you need a job, place to stay and I didn't really have any of that. So I decided Join the army, <laughs> and plus, if I was if I joined the army, they'd take me off parole as juvenile and squash that whole record later on down the road. So it was a win-win for me. And I took the pre-ASVAB pass, took the ASVAB pass that as well. I was supposed to go into the army. I was going to be a lightweight mechanic working on Humvees. I was supposed to go to Afghanistan, Fort Bragg for basic. But the thing was, I hadn't seen my mom in quite some time. And the last time, <clears throat> excuse me, we'd actually seen each other, I was in juvie. So I wanted to come out here to Ohio and see her for two weeks. Her and my brother and my sister before I was supposed to go to Salt Lake City for my, my physical. And then I was supposed to go to Fort Bragg after that. I never really made it. It's probably out here like maybe a week and burned a house down on accident and 
as a result, someone had died in the fire. How it kind of went down was me and my brother were out walking the dog one night, and my brother's a, a little, he's, I don't know, kind of got picked on a little bit. I mean, he didn't get picked on when they were kids, right? Yeah. But he, I don't know, he just wasn't, he was just a softer, gentler, and just, you know, he didn't really stand up for himself, like, you know, take that stand against the world, like, you know, some people do when they just say, you know, fuck it. <laughs> and, uh, and I was always that kid that, you know, like, I picked on my little brother, but I wouldn't let nobody pick on him. You know, that brotherly love kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but anyways, we're walking the dog one night, and the group of kids got their vehicles parked uh, in a parking lot, and two of them, I think were older than us. I know the one was. He's like, hey, you with the dogs. Fuck you. And I'm like, who's he talking to? And he's like, my brother's like us and he's like hey you with the dogs fuck you so i'm like all right well, let's just see what he's talking about so i go over there and i'm like what's up and attitude kind of changed a little bit and i mean his did and nothing really happened of it so we walked away and yeah, I think they, like, we were just walking the dog after that, and then they all got it in their vehicles and, like, started driving up and down the street and kind of, like, doing that with their fingers, and, like, they were shooting at us, and, and I think they'd all ended up getting out, and I pulled a knife on them, and they really didn't want any smoke, and they're like, put the knife in the bushes, and, and you know, come holler at us like a real man, and I'm like, all right, bet, so I threw that shit in the bushes and walked over there and was like, what's up? And still, they didn't really want no smoke, but, you know, still kind of like being smart asses, antagonizing a little bit. And then nothing really happened of it, but I was kind of mad about how, you know, it had just like went down. And and I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to be here for long and I'm not from here, so... I ended up finding out where he lived, and he was 21, the one, the main dude that I was, you know, kind of getting into it with, and he drove some piece of shit white vehicle with the loud muffler on it. it was, everything about him just kind of got to me, irked me a little bit. So I found out where he lived, and long story short, took some kerosene, some matches, went to his house at like four in the morning. And looked for his car. I was, all I was trying to do was like just do some damage, some vehicle damage. And it wasn't there. I didn't see any vehicle there. I saw some broke down something that I don't even know if it worked or not. It had a window down. And I was like, well, this will probably do. I'm already here. So pour some of the kerosene in the vehicle, put a match, threw it in there, walked up. And 
later on down the road, well, the next day, I found out that there was like this mush baked carport above it that I didn't realize. And really what it was, was it was like two beams, two posts with a couple of beams over it. And it just happened to be attached to the house. Like it was just some rink-a-dink, you know. And I, but like as I'm walking home after I did that, you know, I'd never seen a car on fire. So I'm thinking it's got gas in it. Probably not much. It probably doesn't even run. Like, what happens if, you know, like... And so I'd look back, and you see a little bit of a glow in the sky, and... All right. And keep walking a little bit further, look back, glows a little bit bigger, and... <clears throat> in juvie, I did Forester. I fought wildfires for a season when I was 16. When, in Nevada, when you turn 16, you can get red card certified and fight wildfires at 16 and I had done that and so like I know I'm a pretty good judge of how far away a fire is how big how small how hot it's burning I know those factors and every time I look back it would be bigger and bigger and I remember looking back one time and I seen the glow in the sky and was like what if the house got on fire? And I was just like, too fucking late now. But I didn't know. And I'm thinking, well, if it is, I, you know, what am I going to do? Went home, went to bed. Uh, got a call the next day from somebody I'd met. We were supposed to go do some other stuff. We were supposed to go, uh, me and this dude, some bricks. And while they're all parked out there and just, He's going to pick me up and he's going to drop me off there and throw him real quick and get in the vehicle and speed off and he showed up and somebody called. He's like, hey, man, what's up? I'm like, yeah, where were you at last night? And he's like, hey, man, dude, the house got, on, got caught on fire. I was like, yeah, it was me. Where were you at? He's like, dude, somebody died. And I'm like, click. And then, uh, I remember my brother's room and I playing two songs on his radio and these were like songs that I'd listened to for a long time and like for the first time ever like I heard the words for the first time and it was like that weird tunnel vision while I was listening to him and I still like even to this day when I listen to him like I get goosebumps and but like literally my whole life flashed before my eyes while I listened to those two songs. Like I knew, like I was just accepting the consequences. I knew then what I had done. I knew I was going to prison for a long time. And that was a lot to grasp in two songs. What were those and, two songs? Um, one of them was Tupac's Hail Mary, and the other one was the Bob Bone Thugs. I can't remember. I can never remember the name of the song because I just, I just try not to listen to them. Yeah. Because <laughs> they freak me out. Yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, long story short, like, it's, it's a long story, but yeah. Cops got involved, and people told, and it's just, it was all, 
It's all bad. I was stupid. I was stupid for trying to. I was stupid for not letting it go. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we all do stupid things. And I mean, these guys showed up, they antagonized you. You felt like I'm going to get even and I'm going to go destroy some property. Well, they and, you know, they thought up. I was my my little brother and um, not. Yeah. So was it the 21 year old guy that died in the fire or was it someone else? No, it was his grandfather. His grandfather. Okay. Yeah. And ironically, yeah. about 10 years later after that, uh, the dude I was getting into it with ended up dying down in Florida. Really? And what did he die of in Florida? I had heard that it was a motorcycle accident. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's what I was told. Yeah. So the cops get involved people say what happened and now you're you go through the justice system and you ultimately end up sentenced to 20 years i mean that's obviously a short version of that story but would you add anything to that yeah they charged me with murder and aggravated arson and the plea deal was they would drop it to involuntary manslaughter with aggravated arson and so the max would be 20. And really, I just wanted to get rid of that. I didn't want to fight it and risk getting a a life sentence, a tail. So it wouldn't tell me, like, if I took the plea, what they would give me. So, I mean, I just had to accept it. And so I took the plea deal. And they, because I was juvenile, they used my juvenile, my juvenile record against me and maxed me out. Ten and ten ran it wild. So when you say that they ran them wild, what does that mean for our listeners as far as your sentence goes? It means they took both charges and ran them consecutive. Okay. Not so, concurrent. So there was a so charge. They, stacked them. they took a 10 and a 10 and made 20 out of it. Okay. So if they would have ran them concurrent, they would have took the 10 and the 10 and I'd have 10. Mm-hmm. They'd overlaid them, but instead they just stacked yeah. them, ran them wild. Wow. It's just, it's amazing to me because here you were about to try to right your wrongs, right? You've had a little bit of a rough childhood. You ended up in juvie and you were doing some things wrong. So you're like, all right, I'm going to join the military, get myself right. I'm going to go see my mom before I go in the military. I'm going to be a lightweight mechanic, yeah. like that. And then this this trip home, and of course, the choices you made involved with that trip home just totally changes the course of your direction for the next 20 years. Okay. And let me ask you this. This is a, a difficult question. But, you know, your original anger was against this uh, 21-year-old older guy that was antagonizing you and your brother and basically was picking a fight with you that night him and some other guys and but the person that you intended to he was taking back, a fight he was really just trying to look up in front of his friends yeah right yeah just intimidate a couple of boys are out walking the dog right however you had a uh an issue with him but it wound up being his grandfather that was the victim and yes sir yeah so 
that must have been a tough thing for you to reconcile over the last 20 plus years How's yeah that? it was a tough pill to swallow but i mean it i didn't know him i never seen a picture of him so i mean i couldn't you know put a face to it, it made it easier for me to cope yeah sure Right, because that that is really what it comes down to, right? You're, you're like, well, how do I live with this, right? How do I, I want to oh, set sure. a car on fire, set a house on fire, and then somebody died in that. So it's it's a lot more than what you intended, and of course, change the course of your life, and then you have to figure out, you know, how am I gonna? That's the stuff, the stuff that we carry with us that we can't let go of us, that let go of that really hinders our our life. We don't know how to function with it so i was wondering if you uh, you had to come to terms with it just yeah there's nothing i can do about it the only thing i could really do was the time so next question for you but you got 20 years in front of you it could have been 20 years in the military but now it's going to be 20 years in prison so what were some of your biggest lessons learned? Like, how do you feel that you started off your time and, and what was that time like? And, and what are some of the lessons that you learned along the way? Oh, and county time is really just like the, the, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people, you know, after they've been in the county for so long, when they get to reception or especially like when they get to their the parent institution are pretty ecstatic about it <laughs> unless you're a sex offender <laughs> right. Right. or, 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 you know, a snitch, then you're, uh, you're probably shitting your pants, but, um, yeah, you know, yeah. everybody that's not. Yeah. For our, for our listeners that are not familiar with the culture of prison, if you are a sex offender or a snitch, somebody that, told on someone else then of course you could be heading for a pretty awful fate yeah you're you're the lowest of the low your puns come your life is going to be miserable <laughs> you have yeah, you nothing could, coming you, you could literally die or you could live your life in protective custody or, or you could be abused every day or those kind of things and and most then, of the time they just they get time they just they, they get sunned they get under somebody and uh, they paid their dues every month and they're left alone for the most part, but yeah. Yeah. People like that would be paying for protection then in other words, right? Oh yeah, for sure. And there was a time in your incarceration that you said well, the cops almost killed you is how you put it. This is something we were talking about before, before we did this show. Can you share a little bit about that with the listeners? Because I, I think that was a, a turning point for you. Well, I mean, I was 18 when I got to Mansfield, and I was just wild. Like, I, I didn't care. I had 20 years. So I could just do whatever I wanted. I was stupid. Drink, get tattoos, fight, handball. I was that kid that always thought you could just fight the world with brute force. I didn't know anything about being cunning, being shrewd, manipulative, just to get what you want. And that's the whole difference between swimming up current and as opposed to 
just taking the easy way down, floating down the current. I was that kid that was swimming up the current as fast as he could, and it got me nowhere. And I didn't care. The more it would set me back with the COs mostly, I'd push further and harder. And I mean, I was pretty wild. I pissed a lot of COs off. Uh, man, I pissed a lot of COs off. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, uh, they had, they were always changing rules and laws every couple of years. I thought I was going to be in Mansfield for a long time. After my five years in Mansfield, they had a, it was a point system. And if you had, I was a plus three, I started out as a plus three. And if you had five years in on a violent crime, you could get a point knocked off. If you had a job in prison, you get a point knocked off. If you got a high school diploma, you get a point knocked off. And so when I went up for my security review, which is yearly, the unit manager had asked me if, hey, you're a zero. You want to drop security? And I was like, you know what? Sure, let's do it. Let's get a change of scenery. And so I did. And I got to Richland. And that place is pretty wild. <laughs> so when I was in Richland, I was there for like a year and a half. When I was in Mansfield, like my first five years, I never got involved in like gang activity. And I did my time on my own and never had any problems. And then I got to Richland and I had some dudes that were bros who I were friends with. And they were like, hey, man, just like I had a, I had one that he'd tell me like man like you got all that time we want and need you like we need you like with all your time like no matter where you go you're gonna end up getting the keys and you're gonna be running shit and and finally like after him just like wearing me down with all that stuff i was like you know what sure why not let's do it so let me ask you a couple of questions for our listeners. You said there were these dudes that were like bros. And what you meant by that is, uh, uh, was that, was that a, a category or people that you knew? Uh, it was the brand. It was the brotherhood. AB. Okay. Aryan brotherhood. Okay. And yeah. then, and then they said everywhere you go, you're going to be getting, did you say teased was the word? Keys, like, uh, like, keys. Keys is code for, uh, uh, you know, you're going to, it's the, uh, so in every prison, there's a captain in our hierarchy. And if you're a captain, if you're a sanctioned captain, which is the highest you can go in a prison, uh, you have, it's, called you have the keys so keys Keys, okay yeah you're gonna have the keys because you're gonna be in charge okay and and so so you joined up yeah yeah okay where where did things go from there 
I mean, I don't know. Probably. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I never had any problems until I got to Richmond and, uh, not that it was problems, but I mean, it was just more inconveniences. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, like the whole stomp in the yard, being the first motherfucker out there for all three rec periods every single day, being the last one off the yard, holding down territory. I mean, it was just like a huge inconvenience for me and a pain in the ass and being the low man on the totem pole and being treated, you know, harsher than everyone else because, you know, they had higher expectations of me and um, all the time I had to do. And, and it's funny because it's so all like I probated for like a year. Most people only probate for, you know, in a two for, I don't know, six, eight months. Mm-hmm. But, um, and it actually, uh, it actually gotten rid of me. <laughs> I like terminated my probation because they had found out that I was supposedly plotting a mutiny. Um, and I was, <laughs> like I had my own, my own guys, you know, we were thinking about, I disagreed how things were ran and, uh, you know, it's the whole law of the jungle you know if you want something you take it by force and if you can take it it's yours it's not really to be disputed but just know that you know the next person that comes knocking you know (laughs) if they take it i mean it's theirs as well but um yeah they had caught wind before it actually happened and uh i denied it of course (laughs) and um but yeah, the uh, um, hierarchy changed. The people that outed me uh, had eventually left, and the people that were now new running it uh, back then uh, wanted me back in. So I had another shot at it. And I took it. And... But the yeah, whole it... issue with the cops almost killing me was we had... Uh, a lot of prisons have 2.4s, and that's basically your locker box is two by four square feet, uh, and you're supposed to be able to fit all of your possessions in that locker box. And you have those uh, 2.4s. Uh, they can go from anywhere from every year to every few handful of years. Um, Really, one to every five years, they they come in and do a 2.4 inspection. It's an inconvenience. You take all of your shit, you roll it up as tight as possible, <laughs> you stuff it in your box, you have somebody stand on your box while you lock it so it fits and hope the lock doesn't bust because <laughs> there's just so much pressure behind it, you know, because you're trying to stuff everything in there. Everything you own in a two-foot um, box. Yeah, imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah. And they own Where? their house, you know. So yeah, go Everything. ahead. Yeah. And so we had this 2.4. It was during a really hot day. And all of the 
you know, the ninjas, we call them ninjas because they come up, you know, wearing all black, ski masks, zip ties, you know, paintball guns, uh, uh, the whole nine yards. I mean, they're, they don't fuck around. They're assholes. And they were all, all the ones that were in my housing unit, well, they pick you out uh, and then they tear all of your shit up. And uh, it's really a free-for-all after 2.4 because when they let you back in, there's three streets, we call them, or rows. Um, and if you live on First Street, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to be looking to go find your stuff on Second and Third Street because they just will throw shit everywhere. And so I'm kind of eager to get back to my my bed, see how bad it is, uh, if my bed's even still where my bed's supposed to be. <laughs> and um, so I get back in there, and there was a handful of COs standing kind of by my bed, and I went in there, and uh, they said something to me, whatever. I can't remember what it was, but I was like, all right. And then I... Like basically, like we're not ready for you know y'all to come back in here, so leave get the fuck out of here. I'm like, all right, and I kind of chuckle a little bit, and uh, it was one of the seals that I half-ass knew, <clears throat> and I thought he was you know uh just kind of joking a little bit with his tone of voice, and I chuckled and called him an asshole. I was like, all right, you asshole, and then the other seal was like, what the fuck did you just say? I said, all right, asshole. <clears throat> so, and he comes up behind me and grabs me, grabs me by my collar. And I immediately, like, throw my hands up. Like, in, you know, like, you know, hands up, don't shoot. Like, that's a real fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, and immediately, right after I did that, you know, just... And I'm standing still, hands are up, uh, head's kind of down. I know some bullshit's coming. And they, this dude, like, just, like, hip tosses me. Whack my head, my face, right on the corner of the bottom of the bunk bed. Breaks my glasses, glasses go flying. Splits my head wide open, and it just pounds on me. There's, like, ten of them just jumping on me like uh you know take my hands put put them behind my back and they're basically stomping out all of my joints while they're saying stop resisting and i'll mind you i'm not resisting it's just you know code for them to cover their ass when they're beating you stop resisting (laughs) so anyways they um uh, I basically lose. Oh, they maced me with two cans too. On top of that, <clears throat> so I basically lose consciousness. Wake up, um, in the hole, <clears throat> in a holding cell. Uh, handcuffed behind my back, on my back, <clears throat> maced with two cans. So I wake up, and I can't open my eyes. I don't know where I am. I uh, can't see, and I can't breathe. Literally, I'm drowning, <clears throat> laying on my back. So, 
Uh, and I'm thinking, holy shit, I'm going to fucking die. So a porter, or not a porter, uh, yeah, a porter was mopping kind of like by my holding cell in the hole and was like, hey, uh, man, this dude's uh, something, something's wrong. And Rocco, who was the food coordinator, who I knew walked up and he like was like he knew what the fuck was was going on. Like I was drowning over there because um, I had so much mace inhaled it and uh, it was in my nose, my eyes, my mouth, uh, ears. I mean it was so can't hear nothing, can't see nothing. I'm gurgling. <clears throat> I'm kind of freaking out, and he immediately starts banging on the control window like freaking the fuck out he's screaming like somebody get out here get the fuck out here right now and uh, a lady comes out opens the the door <clears throat> the cell door and uh they sit me up <clears throat> they sit me up um uh, and they're both holding me up. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> and this lady's got like tissue and she's shoving it down my throat with her two fingers, trying to get out all of the, the mucus and the, just the snot and saliva. I mean, it's all over my face and my mouth. Uh, so I can breathe, so I don't die. And, uh, and finally, when I could breathe, like I was just like screaming hysterically. I mean, it was just like the most horrible sounding shit. Like I, that they still think about that. Like, and, um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> somebody had called the highway patrol about it. Um, I see highway patrol the next day and I walk in there protocol is <clears throat> if you've got an injury and you're on your way to the hole, you're supposed to go to medical before you go to the hole. They denied me medical attention. They didn't even take me to medical. They just put me in the hole. And so when I go in there to see the, uh, highway patrol, because highway patrol, a lot of people don't know that highway patrol runs prison. Um, it's not the major, it's not the warden, it's highway patrol. That's who they answer to. Highway patrol runs that shit. Um, the major basically is on par with the warden as far as, uh, the hierarchy. The major just is basically the warden of the COs. The warden basically runs administration who runs that institution is highway patrol all of them so when some shit goes down any major investigation anytime somebody gets walked out highway patrol is involved uh they call a shot and so i go in there i was shocked that somebody had called highway patrol and i got this huge goose egg it's the size of like a softball on the top of my head from where they dumped me on my head, <laughs> dunked me. And uh, I thought I broke one of my knees. It was so bad. 
Uh, they were both just horribly swollen. Uh, all my joints were swollen. Um, so I gave them, I gave him what he wanted to, you know, he interviewed me, asked me what happened. Uh, and I told him and for real, the cops were stupid enough to do that on camera. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah, I ended up getting a few COs fired over that. Yeah. And the warden, they, they wrote me out. They were like, Hey man, uh, I was like, Hey man, what am I getting out the hole? Like I got shit to do. I'm tired of being back here. Uh, my headphones are out there somewhere. Like I got to go get them. Like I'm trying to, and they're like, no, no, no. Like you are not staying here. I'm like, why not? They're like, you got, you got to go. You're a political prisoner. So, uh, they asked me where I wanted to go. I told them somewhere with cells. I said, Alan or Grafton. They said, pick one. Um, I said, take me to Allen. Allen's like the sweetest place in Ohio that you can go to. At the time, it was uh, putt putt golfing, 18 holes of madness. I mean, bocce ball. Uh, it's nice. Yeah. So they sent me to Allen. I was there for three years, loved it. Um, but I mean, after the cops had almost killed me, like my whole attitude had really changed, uh, as far as life and, uh, respecting people. Um, it just it really, it changed it, it. It, I realized that swimming up current was not the way to go. There had to be another way, you know, to get what I want in life you know, as far as whatever it is and just, just to be a, be happier, more content. Yeah. And, um, I wasn't quite there yet, but I was pretty close and, um, met some good people, learned some new things, working out pretty hard still. Um, but bef before I had even got to Allen, the cops had knew about me they were waiting on me because you don't get co's fired and then you know they don't they don't never that goes into your file yeah you know they call people you know they know where you're going they let people know hey this dude got a got you know some of our brothers fired and as soon as he fucks up and handle that shit and um so it took me three years uh started kind of getting a little reckless, a little content, reckless. And they, um, they seized an opportunity to get rid of me and a brother of mine, two birds, one stone and made some shit up basically saying that I had put a hit out on a unit manager and that, uh, my brother was supposed to carry out the hit, which is all fabricated on their end. Uh, a huge investigation. Uh, nothing was found, but of course, of course, because it wasn't true. But um, it was just a, an excuse to write us both out. And so they did. Uh, they wrote us lateral. Uh, if you get a lateral ride, so if you're like whatever level you are, if you get a lateral, you're going to go sideways. You're not going to go up or down in security. So I was a uh, a two at Allen. So when they wrote me out, I went to another two. 
and Belmont, they were, they thought they would just uh, send me to hell on earth, Belmont. <laughs> Gangland war zone. Um, so they rode me down there, down there by Wheeling, West Virginia, and I fit right in. <laughs> I had a good old time in Belmont. I really did. Uh, I really thought I was going to hate it there, but it turned out to be, uh, it was, uh, it was a blessing. Let me, uh, let me ask you, you know, it's, it would seem like, you know, you mentioned Belmont as being gangland and it seemed like you were talked into it early on, uh, that this was kind of the affiliation that you needed. Uh, you know, this is, you know, the brotherhood that you need to be part of. You know, looking back, uh, you know, do you feel like that was a, a wise decision, a wise influence for your life? Uh, it seemed like, you know, your thinking started changing when you, um, when you almost got killed, you know, maybe not being as much mm -hmm. of a, uh, you know, swimming up current, as you might call it. Uh, you know, uh, how do you how do you feel? What's your perspective on all those things today? Um, uh, I don't regret it. Um, it was definitely a pivotal point in my life. It was one of the main ones of uh, gang activity. Um, one was when the cops almost killed me. One was when, uh, you know, I got the news somebody had, had passed in, in, a, in a fire. Uh, one was when I've got 20 years of the sentencing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I needed it. And for the record, like, I'm not a racist. Um, not in the in the sense that um, you would think as far as the whole propaganda behind all of it. Um, I mean, my mom can show you birthday pictures of me having birthday parties when I was a kid and there'd be 30 kids there, maybe five are white. <laughs> you know, like I've always just, uh, socialized with everybody, always fit in with everybody, never really. Well, I'm, glad uh, you, I'm glad you brought that up, Vaughn. Never, because, you know, that's good for our listeners to know because if you were to probably Google Aryan Brotherhood, probably one of the top, at least reported beliefs, right, is that they're the superior race and, you know, so there's a lot of racism associated with that. So that's, that's a, is yeah, that, I mean, and like to a degree, yes. Uh, like we're not, we're not. Uh, like there's two different, like main factions of uh, racists, um, quote unquote, in prison, in state prison, not federal. Federal is just an ungodly amount of. <laughs> but in your state, in Ohio, you have skinheads. You have. ABs, and we generally don't get along. And the reason is, is because we just have different ideals. Um, the difference is, is that like most bros are people that people that wear the brand are not, and you know, quote unquote racist. We're not. We don't hate anybody. It's a brotherhood. We're not. Uh, you know. Yes, we have nazi insignia um 
but we're not we don't hate anybody <laughs> it's, it's more like we a lot of us would fall under the 1488 david lane uh and actually one of the precepts is that it is not constructive to hate those of other races uh religions beliefs creeds uh so forth um really it's about preservation um but i mean whatever you believe or not like it's just we weren't we're not the skinheads we're totally different faction um now there are some that are racist but uh i generally don't fuck with them Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a respect thing. It's, it, what it boils down to is respect in life, in prison, flat out is respect. You give respect, you get respect. And if you don't get respect, you take it. And, you know, you're going to get it regardless. So that's my philosophy on it. Like, I had, I mean, believe it or not, like, I had way more friends that were not white in prison. Like, the most solid people I ever met in my entire life were not white. Did that ever um, did that ever lead to any conflict with the uh, you know ABs the Rosie? Uh, yes and no. I mean, a little a little bit when uh, my you know when you're starting out as a peon, um, but you know like I'm gonna do me. I don't if you're my friend, you're my friend. I'm gonna dap you up and hug you or and or whatever. Like I don't. I don't give a fuck about that shit. So, yeah, yeah I got some flack about it early on um, from some people. Um, but, you know, when, when I got older, I mean, that's it's, it's, it's part of politicking, too, as well. Like, you can't have, you know, high rank or hold the keys in a prison and then not politic with other heads. Who are you know kings, bloods, crips, GDs, nietas? I mean, it's just on a on, on a regular basis. It's just it's not feasible. I mean, we all are in there. We're all wearing blue. We all got to eat. We all got to make money. We all got to. It's just it's one hand washes the other, and you know it's. Nothing good comes from not having dialect, you know? Yeah. Not being on the same page. Uh, I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster. So, and yes. so we, that's we, how politics works in prison. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. And, you know, I only asked that because I, I definitely had an incident before where I was, uh, sold up with uh somebody with that affiliation and i was uh out working as a trustee and um i was told that i was a disgrace to the white race because uh there was another trustee that offered me his uh additional piece of turkey off his tray and i took that off his tray and uh i was told that that made me a disgrace to the white race and i was like because <laughs> he was black the guy that shared his turkey with me radical um I mean, technically, one of the bylaws is, um, you know, you don't break bread outside your race. Um, my personal opinion, uh, 
as a peon. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I had to follow that. Um, uh, but I mean, my entire life, like, I don't, it's like, I never did. I mean, I mean, I would, I, I would break bread outside my race. Like it was never a, an issue to me. I didn't see color, uh, you know, but early on, you know, probating and not having rank, you kind of just got to go with the flow and do what you're told, and, which was just so fucking unnatural for me. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I get it, but. I mean, I get it though. Like when you when you eat with people at Forges Bonds, yeah. um, that's the whole point of it. And um, but yeah, like when I got you know older and rank and was like, I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want to do now. Uh, yeah, I didn't give a fuck. I'd I'd break with you. I did not care. It yeah. was a respect thing. Like I'm not gonna sit there and you know not smoke with you um, for eat with you or if it's you know you're not if you're my dude i'm not gonna treat you like a dog you know we're supposed to be equals right it's it's that's not how it works that's not how i see it so yeah, yeah so you, you had but this- yeah you have people that, that and for real like a lot of uh white nationalists in prison whatever you want to call it you know the white supremacy gangs uh yeah you have some people that um actually you have a lot of them (laughs) you have a lot of them that for real are just cowards in it for the wrong reasons uh been scared um uh protection um and for real like most of them just extort and pick on their own people and for me that is just the saddest shit in prison like mm-hmm. you know oh you'll pick on this white this scrawny little white dude but you won't go pick on that big black dude over there are you serious mm-hmm. let's fuck away from me like yeah. i hate that shit i hate it mm-hmm. it sounds like you an affiliation but you were able to maintain your own ideals uh throughout it that you didn't wind up brainwashed by things that did not resonate with who you were deep in your soul uh you know whether it be that you were not a racist or whether it be that you uh thought that everybody deserved an equal amount of respect if they were you know somebody um that you would deem deserving of it regardless of race you know so um, absolutely yeah and it also you know I've, I've seen those situations where Somebody tries to hand somebody that's a, a weaker person a, a commissary list or whatever, you know what I'm saying? You're going to fill this up for me or whatever. Um, and uh, you were not about that either. Um, so that's that's cool. Yeah, I didn't. I never extorted people. Um, I mean, I had I had two hands. I had a mouth. Like, I could hustle. I mean, I could, you know, I could. I had to get <laughs> the, ga- the gift of gab. Uh I mean, I could fix anything. Uh, I shot tattoos. Uh, I stole, I worked in the chow hall for eight years. Like, I stole thousands and thousands, and I stole everything that wasn't nailed down, and some of the stuff that was nailed down. Like, anything I could make a dollar off of. I mean, we were stealing so much food out of the chow hall. We had highway patrol in there doing investigations. <laughs> for our like, listeners, like, uh, why did, why did, why did two thousand dollars worth of sugar just come up missing? <laughs> yeah. What was that? How many pounds of sugar? 
How many? Uh, I mean, we like close to ten thousand dollars, roughly. I mean, just between like the crews I had and you know everybody else stealing. Yeah, and for our listeners, chow hall is a sought-after job for those that uh, may want to bring things of value back to a unit uh, that they can then sell in exchange for other goods. Uh, You know, so it's a it's a quite the hustle. It's probably the number one hustle I think in any prison is. You know, it's not like you're going to be able to get eggs or vegetables or things such as that in your unit or sugar that might be used for uh, making a certain type of drink. You know, um, those are pretty valuable uh, items to have. Uh, So then uh, let me ask you during your time, you know, what was your family contact like? Did you kind of shut yourself off from your family? Uh, Do you feel like they shut themselves? I did. You you shut yourself off? Yeah, I definitely did. When I got to prison, I didn't, I wouldn't wear or own a watch. Uh, my family sent me calendars every year. I'd give them away. Uh, I never had a calendar. I never looked at one. Um, I wanted nothing to do with time. I didn't want to think about time. I didn't want to know time. I did not know, want to know what time it was. I didn't want to know what day it was, what month year and like i didn't watch much tv i didn't watch i didn't read much magazines uh and foolishly if you do that um you will generally forget all sense of time and so you won't celebrate and like prison was different back in the day it's not like how it is now like like when i first got to prison like it was highly segregated there's a lot of tension. Uh, they didn't they didn't celebrate holidays in prison. I mean, it, like when I first got there, we didn't have microwaves. Mm-hmm. We didn't get microwaves in Ohio prisons till 2000. I don't know, five or six. So I mean, if we wanted hot water, we you know you had to make a stinger and boil it. Um, you know, all your your by big babies from uh, uh, ODRC, um, which was the um, uh, mm, officer's dining room. Hey, Vaughn, could you you explain to our audience what a stinger is? So a stinger is, so if you cut a cord off of anything, a TV fan, and you pull back some of those wires off the tip of it where you cut it you can take two pieces of metal of equal size you want them long and narrow and put spacers in between them one in the front one in the end and you can get a zip tie that'd be perfect you can put a zip tie over those or tie it whatever um you put the water or the stinger in the water before you plug it in uh, so it doesn't blow up power. But yeah, you put it in there, you plug it in. Uh, and very shortly after, you have boiling water. Um, you actually put your finger in the water and you won't get shocked <laughs> just to test, find out what the temperature is. Uh, but don't touch anything metal while you have your finger in the water because you will get shocked. Um, <laughs> But don't worry, it's only 110 volts. I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, I, that's what I 
what I, that's what I, even when we got microwaves for years, I didn't use them because uh, they were, I didn't know how to use them. They were different from the ones I remembered when I was a kid. Uh, it was just this box with like a knob or a button, big button on it. And I remember my dude was like, hey man, one year he's like, I'll cook or I'll supply the food, but all you have to do, A's, it said, I'll even cook it. All you have to do is just heat it up in the microwave. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so I go, I go to the microwave and there's no door on it or there's no, uh, no handle. And I'm like, how do you open this thing? So I'm like trying not to look like a, I'm trying to keep it cool. You know, it's out in the middle of the day room, not look like a fucking idiot. I finally get the, I get the door open. I'm like, whoo. All right. I'm halfway through this. Put it in there. Like I half ass know what I'm doing. Shut the door. Now here's the button. How does the button work, right? And I'm like, I don't see no numbers. I'm like, oh my goodness, how do I? So I'm pushing this button. It's not doing anything. And after fiddling with it for a while, I go see. I see one of my dudes walking by. I'm like, hey, bro. Uh, you know, try not to judge or laugh, but uh, how do you use this fucking thing? Like, how do you get it to start? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, really, bro? I'm like, yeah, man. He's like come on, I got you. So it goes over to the microwave. Turns out it's not a button. It's a knob and you turn it. And as you turn it, the numbers, tiny little numbers around it that light up. And I'm like, are you serious? Man? He's like, yeah, have a, <laughs> enjoy your meal. I'm like, all right. So, but yeah, that just like blew my mind that I couldn't, you know, yeah, well, lots of things changed, as you say. I mean, uh, you know, today people have tablets that they can email on and, you know, the photos are no yeah. longer the mail, yeah. but the internet and, uh, you know, things are are definitely changing, uh, you know, more accessibility to internet or computers. I remember when a, a local true. phone call was like 14 bucks. Nobody used the phone. Nobody. I remember back when I, when I was in Mansfield, when I first got locked up and for years after, the phones were actual pay phones. Like you punch it and it would go ding. So let me ask but, you, this, um, I was really impressed when you and I were talking, um, you know, there's certain books that you've read on psychology and, you know, you've practiced meditation and, and I feel like those books have been game changers for you. Uh, you know, some of your influences. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. What, absolutely. What, are they? what are those? So when I got the man's field, I mean, my my entire life, I've been on this quest of finding uh, my spirituality, and I could never. Find, I remember going to the library when I was a kid and getting books on witches and monster trucks, like uh, and UFOs. Like that was always my jam. Uh, so when I got to Mansfield, I'm like, all right, I got 20 years to figure this out, <clears throat> and. I would read everything I get my hands on. I mean, Illuminati, paganism. And I started getting into paganism because I knew that was the, I was getting closer to the, uh, you know, what I was looking for. Cause I remember going to church when I was a kid and just like, none of it made any sense. <clears throat> and I'd have questions for them that they couldn't answer. And it just, baffled me even more and but uh so yeah i mean 
One show that I actually listened to for the entire 20 years was called Coast to Coast. I would listen to it every single night. Uh, it was actually a show from, it's still on. It's on uh, AM radio. Uh, if you're on the East Coast, it comes on at 1 o'clock, I believe, AM. Um, and it's like a four-hour show. <clears throat> and they have everything on there from uh, ghosts, uh, uh, UFOs, conspiracies, I mean, you name it, it's, it's on the table. Uh, that had a lot to do with uh, me discovering, you know, books like um, The Emerald Tablets of Thoth um, or Hermes. Uh, it's actually by the three initiates. Um, I kept hearing it over and over again on the program, and I was like, I have to. I have to read this. I got to see what it's, what it's about. And um, I did. It really resonated with me. Um, and it, really what it was, was when I got the Allen, I had met a guy that had got off of death row. And he, anybody that's ever been to a level four or a five, um, have spent a lot of time uh, with themselves. And there's a lot of self-reflecting. There's a lot of time on your hands, uh, a lot of um, being inverted. Uh, and a lot of people will read some mind-blowing stuff. Um, some, some, some really good stuff gets passed around. Um, some trash, too, but you know, in the beginning of this show, I introduced <laughs> you in that way because you're you're talking about reflection, introspection, and reading things that most people will never have the time to read. And oh, there's, yeah. there's a gift in all three of those things, like having the time to reflect that most people never have the time to yep. reflect and learn from. Having the time to introspect, you know, go inside and, and soul search and things such as that. And then Having the time to even just, yeah, I mean, you know, you'll be the same person five years from now, except for the people you meet and the books you read, right? So like what (laughs) books change a person, right? You know, so this is good. This is good. So uh, you were saying about what you read. Um, So I had met a guy who I considered a master in his own right, um, who had taught me about the runes <clears throat> and it was the elder futhark it's the old viking um it's part of the old viking belief system it's part of their their alphabet but the alphabet is uh highly each rune has a meaning to it and believe it or not all symbols do they all stem from meanings uh and just like our alphabet um the runes for example just like kabbalah the hebrew alphabet and (laughs) they all you could write a book literally on each letter a thick book very thick book um and the thing about letters 
symbols is that they're meant to be meditated on. And there's a specific way that you meditate on those. And I was fortunate enough to learn that. And I didn't think that, um, I had heard some, 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 from some friends that had gotten some good results, just actually mind blowing results. And I'm like, no way. This, uh, uh, didn't lead me on too far. Um, cause it's, um, uh, I would consider it preloading. I don't know if anybody's familiar with, uh, remote viewing, but you don't, uh, when somebody is locating something, um, you don't want to preload them. You want them to be in the dark about it. Um, so, but anyways, like I said, for one example of one symbol and how you would meditate on it, just so that our, our listeners can get a chance to learn from what you're talking about here with these, these runes and, uh, well, there's a, there's a specific way that you need to go about it. Uh, there's, um, what's the word? Um, I had it on the tip of my tongue and I lost it. There's, uh, shit. There's an order of the way that you have to go about it. And there's steps and they're baby steps. And there are things that you need to apply to yourself that you need to do mentally, uh, physically, in order to be able to um, achieve what you're trying to achieve. And one thing is, is that you need to be grounded. You need to ground yourself one time. It's a one-time thing. Uh, you never have to do it again. You, uh, you visualize it in the way that I would tell you, um, <clears throat> you see it, you feel it, you tell yourself you it's forever. And that is a huge aspect of meditating because when you meditate, you're receiving information, information rides on energy and the energy can be pretty uh, explosive or high wattage. Um, it'll get you high. You'll get you like the, the high effects from it. Um, but your intent is to not keep the energy. Your intent is to keep the information. You want to let the energy. That's why you're grounded out. Return back to the, to the source so it can be recycled and come back with new information later on um there's meditating is so easy i mean most people think that meditating is you got to do some eastern stance with your your foot up against your tailbone induce pain uh i mean yeah i mean it, i mean you have people that meditate on their heads I mean, there's a whole reason like why I like getting tattoos and call it a religious experience because it's the same aspect. You're, you're inducing pain and then you have to push through it 
and it actually helps you uh, break focus from your surroundings and um, you can easily accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. But I'm sorry, I got a notification. <laughs> it kind of threw me off. Um, but it, yeah, it's just so easy. I mean, it's yeah. no, that's really good. There's a a visualization practice. Uh, you can just lay down on your bed if you want to, like you're in a sleeping position. Anything that makes you comfortable. Focus on your breathing. Um, it has a lot to do with the third eye focusing on the symbol. And then your glands, you have a penal gland and you have a pituitary gland and you're activating those. And there's a certain way you want to do that. And there's more to it, but it goes from there. And uh, you'd really be surprised what you can get. <laughs> so what I was saying is, uh, you know, as, as you go through uh, your time and you have these experiences, and you read these books. And I had another uh, pivotal experience that was just as mind-blowingly influential and dramatic uh, as, you know, all the other ones. Um, so I'm coming back from the chow hall one day. This is when I was in Belmont. And Belmont's got some of the strangest skies I've ever seen. And I was told about that on the ride down there. I mean, just the way the fog would roll in sometimes at night or the, the green, uh, green sunsets. Um, the, the stuff in the skies just, you can't explain it. Like there's you ever like, like a sun halo or a, a moon halo. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you'd have those, but it, the sun or the moon wouldn't be sometimes, you know, sometimes it wouldn't be in the middle. It would be, on the edge with the, the circle and then there would be and i mean i i remember just staring at the sky sometimes one time in the middle of the day and the sun was there and then there's massive ring around it that encompassed majority of the sky and then there were other orb like uh shapes the size of the, of the the sun uh you know uh, in the in the ring and other places and with other rings and it was just like how do you explain that but uh, so I'm coming back from the chow hall one day and I'm about halfway back to my, my block and I see this perfectly circle sphere like a quarter of a mile away like it's, it's just not far from outside the fence and as soon as I saw it, what got my attention was the way it was moving. It was defying gravity. It was moving at a 45 degree angle. Um, and there was no sound. It, the wind was blowing. Um, it was not a balloon. Um, and you know, like when the wind is blowing, it, like that day, I remember it was gusty. Like it wasn't just a constant. So like if you have wind blowing and you put a balloon in the air, mm -hmm. you can you can see it uh, as it's going up 
uh, kind of speed up a little bit, slow down, or, you know, like, it's just, you know what I mean? Like with the wind, mm-hmm. this, and as this wind would kind of speed up and slow down, it was moving at the same, it never, it was always constant. Um, it just defied gravity and, uh, looked like a piece of silver. Um, and then I watched it literally, I mean, it was there for a good little minute and then it just faded out, not behind a cloud or anything. It just faded out and I stopped exactly right where I was and my mouth was wide open and I was freaking the fuck out. Like the fuck was that? And the yard dog who knew me for quite some years, he comes walking up to me. He was right there. Um, I don't know if he saw it or not. Probably didn't, but he's like, what's wrong kitchen? And, uh, and I'm like, but it was, it was right. It was right there. Like it was, it was like, I'm doing that. Like it's just mouth wide open, just stumbling with my fumbling words. Like I was stuck, just stupid. And he's like, Oh, you saw something, huh? I'm like, but it was right. It was was right. (laughs) And he's like, you'd be surprised what you'd see out here especially if you're out here all day like me and uh it's i'd never i never forgot that like and then it was so strange because right after that i had like this fascination with um the great work uh i mean the occult i mean freemasonry uh i mean anything alistair crowley i mean i was buying alistair crowley books uh kabbalah books um, I was on it and it, right around that same time I had met because I had a lot of Hispanic friends a lot I was a Calderon. Uh and I had a Dominican friend who from a prominent family his aunt I believe was a senator in DR I mean he legitly could be president when he gets out. Like he's just, his family has that pull. He's that intelligent. I mean, the president of, of DR, um, he's got the means, uh, to, uh, to literally bring nuclear power to that country. I mean, if he was ever elected, I mean, uh, but he had done fed time and once again, in prison, you know, you meet some very interesting people, but especially in the Fed prisons, because they're different kind of interesting. Um, and he had actually met someone, I can't remember what country it was, but he was the former president of, I don't know if it was Guatemala, Honduras, um, but uh, but yeah, he, he was a political prisoner in the Fed Fed joint, and you know why not? You know, uh, mingle with the former president of that country, and he did, and learned some interesting things from him. Because uh, my my dude loves to read books. I mean, we were on the same page about everything. 
mm-hmm. and he hipped him to a book. Um, he had said that he had, uh, when he was president, uh, what was his, uh, Tony Blair. He said that he had met with Tony Blair one day and that Tony Blair had gifted him a book. And he said, what is this book? And he said, well, it's what everybody's reading. And, (laughs) which is fascinating. Why wouldn't you want to, you know, read a book that people that rule nations are reading? Right. And so he had ordered those, you know, that book and kind of find out there's, uh, I mean, there's an institute uh, for that. Um, uh, I don't know what to, I don't want to call it a belief. Uh, it's for that section of the great work. And he, so, you know, he'd always, it, it, you read that kind of, you read that book, it, it's life-changing. And, you know, I've been studying Freemasonry and uh, the great work, Kabbalah, uh, every religion that I can get my hands on, especially the ancient ones or Eastern philosophy, um, and kind of find out they're all, they all are connected. They all have the same message. It's just throughout time, you know, people migrate, languages change, uh, Races change, you know, um, there's an evolution happening and, uh, you know, the, the, the politics, the, the way of life, the speech, uh, gods, the names of gods. I mean, they're all change, but the message, you know, the, the message at the core still remains very intact. Mm-hmm. And if you can get to that message, you know, and, and realize that, then you're making some serious progress. But I mean, that stuff doesn't happen overnight. You, yeah. like I said, you have to be locked up for a long time. You have to very, be very inverted, read a lot of books. Um, but yeah, it, it there's some very interesting um <laughs> i literally just had a friend over not too long ago and i try not to tell people this stuff really because it, it, it they'll stop talking to you <laughs> if you overload them with with too much information at once it's too much it is too <laughs> much <laughs> right okay uh they, yeah they'll literally just cut you off uh <laughs> but uh i was i was telling her uh, about auras, we were talking about that, and I said, I mean, it's not far fetched. You know, you don't have to be special to be able to see an aura. Matter of fact, I can teach you how to see an aura in less than sixty seconds. Like, no way. I'm like, come on, let's go. So I got her in my uh, in my in my kitchen, turned the lights on, took my shirt off, kind of swayed back and forth so she wouldn't get eye burn, or couldn't say that it was eye burn that she was seeing, and uh. You know, like everyone I'd ever shown it to, you know, it's roughly around like maybe 20 to 40 seconds and you can see it, but yeah. 
but you know, mind blowing for, but yeah, like when I had discovered that, um, man, I remember like, I was just fascinated with it. Like I would just want to see the ore and everything, every plants, people like, I remember like when we had our dogs out when I was in Mansfield and they were doing what we call the retard run where they were, you know, they're pack animals and they're going to chase the one that, you know, and so one's hauling ass, uh, all the way around the yard and, and weaving in and out of, you know, bushes and stuff. And everybody's like, what are they doing? Cause there was some form of like, you know, they weren't just chasing the, the pack leader. They were chasing maybe something else. And I was kind of looking the way I do to see auras. And then I remember seeing, I had actually done that so much during the day that I wouldn't have to, you know, keep looking for it. It was just like more things without even trying. It just became natural. And I'm seeing more and more. I remember, I remember looking to see if there was anything they were chasing Look a little closer and they were chasing these little red orbs <laughs> in front of them. And the orbs are, you know, maybe they look like cigarette, but, or uh, like, you know, like the tip of a cigarette, but mm-hmm. is, uh, is red, you know, I wanted to ask you a question that's uh, kind of a powerful question. You've learned so much, you know, you've you know, had a spiritual journey, an educational journey, a journey of introspection, reflection. If you could go back and, and tell that 17-year-old kid some important information, if your older self could talk to your younger self, what would you want your younger self to know? It's weird because, like, I feel like I feel like I remember when I was listening to those songs that I I knew I already knew what was going to happen. Like, I already I've already known. It's so weird because, like, I am everything I've always wanted to be. As you know, as as a, as a man, a, a, a humanist, um, literally. Um, but the journey, I mean, just the struggles to get there. I mean, uh, but I mean, I I always knew that it was always gonna, I was gonna be who I am today. Um, I didn't know what I was gonna have to go through, but and I always knew that it was always gonna be okay. Like uh, there was just this. I mean, I, I feel like I wouldn't have to because I already knew, but. Yeah. No, you know, know. It's, it's, it, it's really, it's really tough to become who we are and remove certain parts. So you can't necessarily forewarn your younger self or, or even get them to avoid certain things because, you know, one thing that we both share in common is incarceration, but I would not be the man, the husband, the father, the friend, uh, the person I am today without the incarceration. So I can't remove that. And I can't give myself younger. absolutely All right. So I can't give my younger self some. Nor would I want to change it. Right. So if it, uh, you know, I guess you can just say brace yourself. It's going to be a heck of a ride, but in the end, you're going to be all right. You know. Um, so let me uh, also just say that uh, you know I started off our show talking about our connection, and uh, you know your father, uh, who was 
a sergeant in the original place that I was incarcerated, one of the original places. Uh, you know, he was a real blessing to me. Um, uh, he and your stepmother, uh, Patty Kitchen, so Sergeant Carrie Kitchen and Patty Kitchen. And, um, uh, you know, uh, Patty got me involved in speaking in youth programs and Sergeant Kitchen, he would come by my cell and give me things that uh, were sometimes denied. I had to fill out grievances for, they sent me too many photos and uh, they really influenced me and they they really helped me with my journey. Um, they influenced me in such a way I wouldn't be the speaker that I am today, an international presenter. And I remember when Patty got me speaking in the troubled youth programs, I was hyperventilating over that. So, uh, you know, it was amazing to have them meet them in Las Vegas, Nevada, and for your father to retire uh, six months of the year to a town that is one mile from where I was originally from. So, yeah what a coincidence yeah and i don't i don't believe in coincidence (laughs) yeah so there's no such thing so i've been tracking your journey for quite a while now um you know we certainly were incarcerated during i'm grateful about 10 times 10 years 10 years and uh you know they always call me a a good paycheck because they were kind to me and my life turned out well and uh, now they've been so kind to me as to you know invite me to their place in Cancun and, you know, have me up and make me part of your family holidays. And so uh, it's an honor to have a new brother. Uh, you know, I'm welcome home. I'm here. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of, uh, when I mentioned that early on in the episode, I wanted to kind of bring that full circle. And, uh, you know, uh, I look forward to the years to come as we get to grow together in this new life, you know. Yes, sir. Me too. Look forward to it. Yeah. How's up? What's your been your toughest adjustment coming home in this past uh, year plus year and a half? Uh, man, like <laughs> technology. <laughs> of course, right? You I mean, mean, just from like, the microwave yeah. to now everything else. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like I remember when my my mom handed me uh, an iPhone ten, and I was just like. <laughs> How do you use it? I mean, we had we had phones in prison, but I mean, they were like, I had to, it took me a while to figure out how to use a, a flip phone in there, you know, like, I mean, it's just like, I didn't know nothing about taxes, uh, filling out an application, like, <laughs> I am so grateful that I had so many people to just, people I didn't even know, just look out for me, help me along the way, and just mind-blowing absolutely mind-blowing i'm so blessed and grateful humble i want to thank you for sharing your story today on this podcast i, I look forward to getting it out to the world and and you know vaughn we uh, can talk for hours days oh my God. I mean, we can just go and go there's gonna be a part two you know or <laughs> three or four you know there's so many absolutely you brought up today that we could dive into and go deeper with all sorts of topics oh yeah but uh you know, I, I do want to share with the audience that I asked you to be on here because you have a unique perspective and you've been through uh, quite a struggle, but the depth of your struggle will determine the height of your success. And so you've uh, you've learned a lot along the way and uh, there's a lot of good things to share. So thank you for being on here today. Thank you. I, I appreciate it greatly. And thank you to those that are listening and uh, giving us a chance. 
uh, we're <laughs> we're uh, we're in service to you, and uh, we're it's it's a give and take. You know, we're just trying to make life better for ourselves, for the uh, our environment, people around us. Um, learn to love each other, respect each other. Um, it's life is good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, thanks, brother. I uh, I will talk to you again soon. I appreciate it. Right. I look forward to it. Be safe, my friend. All right. My we'll brother. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening, Overcomer Nation. Make sure if you haven't already, give us a five-star rating. Make sure that you share this and subscribe so you can see all of our future content. That's right. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, go to overcomers-podcast.com. If you're interested in our franchise opportunities with Journey 333, then go to www.journeyfitness333.com. And finally, if you like what you heard today and you feel like you're somebody that needs a bit more coaching, go to travisbarnes.com. Yeah, overcome!